this evening to give you one hour, a choice hour, not to invite people. Please don't waste time inviting people, but phoning them and telling them you're going to be by and pick them up. It is almost a waste of time now to invite people to attend the gospel service. They got other places to go. And uh, <clears throat> we can do one of two things. We can quit or we can press the battle harder than we ever have. In the matter of going, just phone your friend that you're interested in and say, now, wife and I are going to be by at you about 10 minutes after 7. And uh, I had a fellow down in High Point, North Carolina, Barber. He took me seriously, and he went and sat on the doorstep of a friend of his for 13 successive nights. 14th night, the fellow came along. God saved him later. He's still serving the Lord. He got desperate. We're going to have to get desperate. People now are not going to come out except by prayer and fasting. Nice little invitation won't do much good, will it? Hadn't done much in the past, has it? So we have to go after people. Really go after them. <clears throat> you do that tonight. You listen to me. This is the nicest, softest, fattest generation of professing Christians God ever had to put up with. Everybody here is living like a king. We've all got nice houses and nice cars, eat three times enough to kill a mule, and uh, we're just, uh, we're just, we're the nicest little people you ever saw. We wouldn't harm a flea, and the devil knows it. We're going to have to get in this thing, amen? That's right. Get in. Get in this. <clears throat> Since when does anybody have a right to call himself a Christian that isn't deeply burdened and carrying a heavy load to get this world to Christ? Now, just who told you you was a Christian? You don't know about salvation. All these church members always praying for the Lord to give them a burdened heart. What you need is a new heart, brother. He ain't going to burden that old unsaved carcass of yours, but he will if you ever take his yoke upon you, brother, <laughs> and get lashed to the altar of consecration. A lot of professing people now, they, they got to get reconsecrated every three, four years, every three, four weeks. That's a bunch of sassy friends. No. Anybody who isn't entered into the passion of my Lord Jesus Christ and doesn't consider himself as a little Jesus, as Miss Christ. People walk up to me now and then and say, Brother Barnard, you saved me. They're telling the truth. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. I'm a little Jesus. I'm a savior. You are too if you're a Christian. You got the same job the Lord has. He gave it to you. And you better quit talking about being a Christian because you don't do some bad things. This is the essence of Christianity. Have his yoke upon you and find that instead of being heavy, it's easy. Now, I'm talking pretty common sense now. Ninety-five percent of Baptists today don't give a hoot whether anybody gets saved or not. How about you? We're not going to give up our lovely homes now, big cars and three great big meals that kill a mule if he ate all of them. And all of this stuff that we don't do this and don't do that call that Christianity. No, no. Christianity takes blood. It takes the blood of Christ and your blood to keep men out of hell. That's right. That's right. Let's get in. Let's quit being so nice. Amen? Huh? You Yankees are so separated. 
you ain't going to be happy in heaven. You better get unseparated and get dirty trying to put your arm around somebody and love him to Jesus. Amen. I'm talking common sense. All right, let's get this. Tonight, I'm going to believe you're going to ask people, not invite them. And I don't want you to go after church members. Go after somebody that don't make any pretense. Go down and invade a nightclub or something. Go down and bring those folks here. Do you good. Do you good? Do you good? Tonight we'll be speaking on when I used a beer keg for a platform and a saloon for a church and underworld for an audience. I want people to hear that message, and we're going to stick to it. I want us to learn a little chorus this morning, if the madam can remember it. I asked her if she hadn't played it in several years, and she said she'd try it. If she can make it, we're going to, we're going to learn a brand-new chorus. Oh, my loving brother. I love I love this and sort of on my heart this morning and take a minute for us to learn it. Thank you, Kate. That's familiar to you. Do you recognize that, oh, my loving brother, when the world's on fire? Don't you want God's pillar to be your, don't you want God's bosom to be your pillar, to bear you over to the rock of ages, rock of ages, left for me? I sing it once, and then those of you who know it, you join, and everybody else will have it by then. Oh, my loving brother, when the world's on fire, don't you want God's bosom to be your pillow to bear you over to the rock of ages? Rock of ages left for me. Looks like men would want that to be true of them. Well, sing it with me. Sing it now. Oh, my loving brother, when the world's on fire, don't you want God's bosom to be a pillow to bear you? time sing it oh my loving brother when the world's on fire don't you want God's bosom to be a pillow to bear you over to the rock of ages rock of ages Sing, did you hear what Jesus said to me? They're all taken away. Stand up and sing this once, and then I'll let you sit down. We'll have the message. Did you hear what Jesus said to me? They're all taken away. Your sins are all pardoned, and you're free. They're all taken away. Sing it. The second verse is, So I praise the Lord for sins forgiven. They're all taken away. It's Onward pressing my way to heaven, they're all taken away. Sing it real good, and that'll be all. Sing it now. Did you hear what Jesus said to me? They're all way away. Your sin, pardon, and you are free. They're all taken away. They're all taken 
praise the Lord, so I praise the Lord for sin, for wonderful if we could believe. Huh? Then as Raven Hill said, someday a simple child of God's going to sit down, pick up the word, read it, and believe it. Make the rest of us ashamed of us. Oh, if we could believe, they are all taken away. Well, let's reach out and touch the Lord for the preacher, and then we will. Win. Reach out and touch the Lord as we pass by. You find me not too busy to hear your heart cry. He passed by this moment. In the sixth chapter of the book of Jeremiah, do not turn to it, turn to the book of Mark's Gospel at chapter 3, if you wish. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. But I take a verse of Scripture while you're finding Mark, chapter 3. In the sixth chapter of Jeremiah, verse 30, the Word of God says, Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. Men shall speak of others as reprobate silver, and the reason they shall so speak is because God in judgment has rejected them. In Second Corinthians, keep your place in Mark and 2 Corinthians at chapter 13 and verse 5, we are enjoined to examine our yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Don't you know your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. <clears throat> Preachers coined the phrase many years ago unscriptural, but we continue to use it, called the unpardonable sin. That, of course, is not scriptural language. But what the preachers were talking about is the awful act of a living God in time placing a human being in a state of reprobation, rejecting that person. The Apostle Paul wasn't as good a Christian as this nice little comfortable mechanical generation who believes some facts and haven't killed anybody lately and call himself Christian. He fought every day of his life with one terrible dread that he would be rejected. 
lest they become a castaway. And it's the same Greek word for reprobation. Of course, Paul didn't know anything about this once saved, always saved business that Baptists have sent hell for people. He had not gotten in touch with this easy believism and this so-called doctrine of the security of the believer. We're long on the word security and mighty short on what it means to be a believer. And he is afraid he'd be rejected. And he said he fought like a circle saw. Of course, you dear nice little people of Grace Baptist Church, you sound in doctrine, got a wonderful pastor, and got a good job and a nice home, and perfectly content to let the world go to hell, not going to interfere with you. We're not going to do anything about getting in this thing, are we, until God Almighty sees our blood's in it, and we're in the swim taking issue with this godless day and occupying some territory for Jesus Christ, spitting in the face of the devil, telling him going back to hell where he came from, that we're on business for the king. Examine yourselves. Don't you know that Christ is in you? That ain't believing some facts. That's a living marriage. That's a relationship. Except you be reprobates. But in Mark's gospel, where the preachers got the term unpardonable sin, it's really the act of God's reprobation. There is a tremendous statement made by the Lord here in Mark chapter 3 that is enough to make our spiritual hair stand on our heads. He's engaged in a controversy with some people who are sons of hell. They are themselves reprobate. They are the leaders of the Jewish religion. And they've been accusing him of casting out demons for the power of the devil. And he's told them that that just wouldn't work because that would mean the devil working against himself. And then in verse 27 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, the Lord said, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he'll first bind the strong man and then he'll spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall... Now, if you'll notice and mark the sons of men, the sons of men, they have not yet arrived at a state of reprobation. But the next verse, not talking about sons of men, which you see later, it's talking about sons of hell, people who've been reprobated by Almighty God. And they have, or what the people who have, in the language of preachers, committed the unpardonable sin. But, verse 29, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness and then if you write in your Bible, mark out the words, but is in danger of eternal damnation. That is not what the Greek says there, but it reads like this, but hath committed an eternal sin. A person who has blasphemed against the Holy Spirit has committed an eternal sin. By that, it means that he begins to reap the penalty and the consequences of that sin right then. By that, it means that he enters hell while he's still here on this earth. By that, it means that he'll just have hell from now on through the long reaches of eternity. A man who has come to the place that he's been able to uh, summon up his strength and speak blasphemously against the Holy Ghost 
hath committed an eternal sin. The Bible talks about some sins that God will forgive in this life and the life to come. The Bible talks about some sins he'll forgive in the life to come, but not in this life. Every Christian here is suffering physically, spiritually, mentally, or some way right now because of past sins, and God has never forgiven in this life. You, I've I, I torn up my body eating cake and pie and all that stuff you Yankees eat for 40 years until I can hardly keep anything on my stomach. Well, it's because I did not mind the Lord. I sinned. I was a glutton like most of you Yankees still are. <laughs> I can talk that way because I can't eat much. But I'm having to pay for that, and I'll pay for it, the doctor say, the rest of my life. Your pastor, he's, I'm weak in the stomach, and he's weak in the head, you know. <laughs> but he's paying for his past sins of trying to be God. If I'd have died when I was 30 years old, this world has gone to smash because I had the whole burden of it on my shoulders. And God don't expect to do that. He says, cast your burdens on the Lord. But I can't do it, and I had to bear them myself. And so... I speak to you now under a good deal of spiritual discomfort and distress, and I'm having to pay for that. But there are this sin against the Holy Ghost uh, that a man in a state of reprobation finds himself reprobated of God upon its committal. That's a sin that God will not forgive in this life nor in the life to come. And it's a sin a man begins to pay for in this life. Men say to me, Preacher, I believe we get all the hell on this earth we're ever going to get. Well, bless your heart, we get plenty. Don't you kid yourself. The Bible still tells the truth. The way of the transgressor is hard. And this mad rush of people today, uh, wouldn't it be terrible if you had to be by yourself ten minutes? Just by yourself. Go crazy, wouldn't you? We've got to have the radio, the television, the phonograph, or something going on. Because we're nuts, we can't stand ourselves. We're miserable. And the reason you put on that face you got this morning is to hide your real face. Miserable. This is a miserable generation. That's right. Hell on earth! That's what it means to be a reprobate. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Men shall call them reprobate silver because they are marked with the rejection of Almighty God. I want to talk to you this morning about three marks that people wear if they be cast away already in hell, no hope of salvation. I talk about it because it looks like America as a nation has been at least for a season placed by God in a state of reprobation. I talk about it because it looks like the majority of people that live in America. Surely God must have rejected them. And we'll see why I believe that. That doesn't make it so as to bring out the message. The grace of God extends to all mankind. And the grace of God is the, just one grace, but the Bible makes distinctions. There is redeeming, saving grace that brings men to God in Jesus Christ. That reaches to some. There is what the old Bible teaches called common grace, described so vividly in many places in the book of Romans, by which God leaves all men without excuse, sends the rain upon the just 
and the unjust, and the sun to shine upon the good and evil. And then there is what the Bible scholars, and I think scripturally call sufficient grace, and that's just that the common grace of God reaches in the direction of all mankind sufficiently to leave that man without excuse. There are three classes of people in the world. I wonder if they're represented here this morning. There are those who have been made the children of God by his grace through faith. They are God's dear ones. In the second place, there are those who are called children of wrath children of wrath. The wrath of God hangs suspended over their heads. They are being blessed by God's sufficient common grace. They are not yet children of God, but neither are they children of Satan. They are children of wrath. They may yet become children of God. And then there's a third class of people given in the Bible, and they are sons of hell, children of Satan. It is not true that all men have as the devil as their father. In the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, the Lord addresses some people, and he says, Ye are of your father the devil but those were the leaders of the jewish religion whom god's son had reprobated they had crystallized in their character until the lord speaking to them as sons and sonship has to do with character a child that means relationship and son means character. And these leaders have sinned against so much light from heaven that the Lord has reprobated them. And he says, you, just like your daddy the devil, I've turned you over to Satan. Your character's just like his. And they're the people that murdered the son of the living God. And they're the kind of people that Satan sows in a church. People. People. And in the average church, they have places of leadership. And they're going to hell and trying to drag everybody else with them. And if you do not recognize that time you woke up, hear me, a son of hell, a crystallized character, just like his daddy, a liar from the beginning. He's a reprobate. He's not under redeeming grace nor common grace. He's not under any kind of grace. He's under the wrath and judgment of God. There are three marks best I'm able to understand the teaching of the Word of God of a son of hell, of a reprobate, of a person who sinned unpardonably, of a person who's already in hell. And if I speak to such a one this morning, you can just sleep on. You're going to hell anyhow. But I speak to war. Any who are here this morning who are not children of God and you're not yet a son of hell, God, grace still reaching out to you. The door hadn't yet been shut. But every day you march toward the time that's coming on this earth when there'll be only two classes of people on the earth, God's people and reprobates. Listen to me. The first mark, I think the Bible says that a son of hell, a son of Satan, a reprobate, is that the means 
by which God resists man's evil nature and restrains it, no longer gets the job done. Let me repeat it. If this isn't a picture of American life, even American so-called Christian life, I'll choose up and take sides. How is a man who's crystallized and already in hell, what marks does he have first? The means which ordinarily God Almighty uses to resist the evil devil in a man and restrain him. Those means don't get the job done. Those means are fivefold. They're what the old preachers call common grace. And I can't but mention them. Wisdom. Holy Spirit given wisdom. Knowledge. Knowledge of God. These are in the book of Romans, chapters 1 and 2 and 13. Natural affections, the love of a man for his wife, a wife for a husband, the love of mother and father for children, children for father, the love of the nation, the love of the home, they are gifts of God Almighty's grace. And since it is true that God uses not judgment to bring men to repentance, but the Scriptures say that the goodness of God is his weapon to lead men to repentance. And how good God is to giving you a job. How good God is you've got to love the family. That's a gift of God. How good God's been to you if you have some patriotism, you die for America. All of these things are gifts of God calculated to lead you to condemn yourself and fall prostrate at his feet and surrender to his rule. Whatever wisdom you've got in this vast industrial area, wisdom to penetrate the heavens and break up the atoms, wisdom in this research business out here, wisdom to make all this mechanical life that we have today, all of those things are gifts of God calculated to lead men to repentance. But when men, when men are not led to repentance by the gifts of God, but they're led to blow the smoke of their unbelief and rebellion in the nostrils of a thrice holy God, those means that are calculated to resist men's evil nature and restrain their evil acts and lead them to repentance, they no longer work. That's a mark of reprobation. You get to the place that you can accept that good job you've got and that lovely home you've got and that life family you've got and never think of them as gifts of God and be moved to repentance. You need to worry about getting saved. You ain't going to. You're going to split hell wide open. And, Brother Pastor, this scares me. There never was such a prosperous nation. Oh, boy, we're fat as hogs. Most of you haven't thought of God since last Sunday. The means that God uses to resist the old demon in Ralph Barnard, restrain him, fix it so the chances are somebody won't stab you or shoot you as you come to service if you do tonight. But I'm preaching to you in once, so-called Christian America. Well, perhaps the most signal thing that talks about how close to hell this generation in America is is the action of our Supreme Court and the powers that be to bind the hands of our police. 
Got to where now a policeman got to apologize for arresting a fellow for killing somebody. If you think that's true, just about one more step in this country's gone. For one of the great gifts of God's common grace calculated to lead men to repentance is the gift of the terror of human government. Now they've taken all the terror away. You arrest a drunk, you'll have a mob out in Los Angeles. They turned a fellow loose in New York City, a woman who was the other day because she hadn't had counsel or something for the question. You won't kill your wife, this is a good time to do it, but the policeman, he'll have to apologize for arresting you. That's bad, folks. That's bad. Wisdom, knowledge, human affections, conscience. Terror of human government. They no longer lead men to repentance. They've this nation, in spite of its wisdom, in spite of its knowledge of God and its tracks are everywhere, in spite of some remnants of patriotism and natural affections, in spite of some kind of conscience, in spite of the terror of human government, getting more godless and blasphemous every day. That's the mark of a reprobate nation. That's a mark of a reprobate man. The second mark, as I understand it in the word of God, that marks a man who's a son of hell, sure for hell in hell already, abandoned of God, is a conscience that now excuses him where once it accused. Conscience is described. It's the gift of God. It's not natural to man. It's God's gift to you. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 30, it tells us, describes the conscience. It's that little voice that speaks in your left ear. And you're coming down the road, and there's a crossroad, and you've got to go one, two directions, and that gift of God says, go that way. Let's do it. That's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. You remember when you had a sensitive conscience and, and when you did anything you thought was wrong, it bothered you. It took the stand accused. The Bible talks of progress in a man's conscience. He's born with a seared conscience. It doesn't stay seared. It gets defiled. But it doesn't stay defiled. It gets evil. It gets so evil <coughs> that Paul said that your conscience that once accused you now excuses and if you can do wrong in your conscience that gift that God given to men if it will furnish you with an excuse you need to worry about going to heaven you ain't going you're going to hell that's a mark of reprobation when your conscience gets to the place that it goes exactly against the reason God gave it to you. You are a dead duck. That's reading I say America for a season passed under state of reformation. You know anything's wrong now? You know anybody now that's calling up the preacher or somebody, come over and pray for me. I'm in a mess and I can't sleep and I've raised Cain and I'm in a terrible shape. No, 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 no. Every man will say, well, I don't think there's more harm than this. There's something else. That's just your opinion about it. And that characterizes America. And from the Supreme Court down through the government, down through the papers, down through our schools, down 
communications media down into the churches now and from the pulpits. We've thrown out God's holy absolutes and turned everybody over to their seared, defiled, evil consciences and hell's breaking out everywhere. That's a mark of reprobation. In the last place, the reprobate is marked by the most awful judgment that can come to any human being. He is brought to the place that he dwells under the silence of God. I'm getting desperate, you sweet people. I'm trying to cut you to pieces because you don't belong to yourself. I want you to be out as you've never been out and out. But I'm getting desperate about you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't cut men's hearts to pieces, they're gone. I preached my nice little sermons and Pronounce the benediction, we all go to this. Looks like God don't talk to us around here no more. Wonder if he's put us under his side. I haven't seen hearts split by the truth in the hands of the Holy Ghost. I said, cause you such a poor preacher. Well, that bothers me too. But the deeper reason is, I don't care poor preacher, good preacher, what kind it is, there ain't but one person that can invade a man's spirit and plunge the truth and cut him to pieces and make him scream for mercy. And that's Almighty God. To be put under the silence of God. You ever have fuss with your wife? You don't talk for a day or two, God pity you. That's awful. Better have a knock down, drag out. Anything better than silence. Oh, hear me, sinner friend. This isn't fatalism. But if Almighty God don't block your road to hell and confront you with the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, there's no way on God's earth you can be saved. And thing that scares the living daylights out of this preacher is even my own experience, God helped me. I don't see God arresting men like I even used to. It looks to me like he may just said, Well, all right. I've called and they refused. I just won't talk anymore. hundred and sixty-seven times in the New Testament salvation said to come when God calls me. Must be something to that if it's repeated a hundred and sixty-seven times in the New Testament. Must be the only hope for an old sinner is for God to do something. Well, say, I'm going to fix that preacher. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I know you going to do and you'll have Biden Dayton done done that and they're still going to hell. Hear me! The most terrible judgment God can bring on a human being or a church or a home or a nation is to place them under his silence. Don't bother them anymore. Let them alone. to dwell under the silence of God. Every preacher in America that has any evidence he's a called of God preacher will tell you the same thing, the thing that's driving us crazy into our 
faces and making us desperate so we're liable to get in the flesh and try to take it out on the people and that wouldn't be of God. It's the awfulness of preaching and witnessing today apparently talking to people that God ain't saying nothing to. And I can talk till I'm blue in the face. But if I'm the only one talking to you, there's no hope for people. This ain't fatalism. This is God's truth. Put you under the silence of God. This is solemn because men are saved. It's called, God calls them. They are able to answer. Romans 8, 29. Then he also calls. In the book of John's Gospel, in, in chapter 19, is a solemn occurrence. And I beg your indulgence for another minute or two as we look at it. In the 18th chapter, Jesus Christ has been brought by the leaders of the Jewish people, these reprobates. They do not have the power of death. They're under the Roman rule. And they want this fellow Jesus killed. They can't do it themselves. So they bring him to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And they want you fix this fellow. Well, Pontius Pilate don't know who Jesus is. You know. All he knows about is some fellow troubling these Jews, and they won't get rid of him. Well, you need to look down your noses at him. You don't know who Jesus is unless he's made himself known to you. But here's a man's got to make some decisions. And he's in a state of terrible ignorance. And so they bring Jesus before him. And Pilate asked him some questions. My time won't let me. He asked five questions recorded in the 18th chapter. And Jesus, we believe he is the Lord of glory. Oh, Pilate didn't know. Jesus answered him every time. Told him the truth. And then Pilate did like this generation. He gritted his teeth and waited on in spite of the five answers that would help him understand who he's dealing with. But he closed his eyes. He listened to the cry of those reprobate Jews and he thought about his position and he gritted his and waded through light from heaven. And in the 19th chapter, he asked Jesus a sixth question. Then Pilate, verse 1, therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put a on him a purple robe, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. That gang rep baits going to have Jesus' blood. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I tried him, and he's not guilty. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man, there he is crowned, clothed, and beaten half to death. They scourged him. Old Pilate says, Maybe they'll see him in that shape and they'll let him go. He said, Look at him. But the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him. They cried out, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, I'm not going to do it. You take him and crucify him. I tried him. He's not guilty. But Pilate still don't know who Jesus is. Do you? 
The Jews answered him, said, We've got a law, and by our law he ought to die. He ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, what saying? The Jews said he made himself to be the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He was already scared. He'd been dealing with this fellow Jesus, and he asked him five questions and got a truthful answer. His wife had sent him word, said, I've been having trouble with that fellow in my dreams. Said, watch out, don't have anything to do with that good man. He's scarce. But when he heard the Jews say he ought to die, why, why won't kill him for? Because he claims to be the son of God. When Pilate heard that, scared him more. And so he turned around, went back into the courthouse. He went again into the judgment hall, verse 9. And he asked the most important question any human being will ever ask this side of eternity. Went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where'd you come from? These Jews said, I'll kill you. Because you made yourself be the son of God. My wife told me not to have anything to do with you. Who are you? That's how helpless you are this morning if you're not a child of God. If you don't find out who Jesus is, where he came from, there's no way on earth you can escape hell. Who are you? Look at the rest of the verse. And he gave him no answer. To dwell in the silence of God. Down here in this world, Didn't ask to be born. Won't have much to say about when I leave. Everything in eternity depends on the finding out who Jesus is. Where did he come from? Where is he now? Everything depends on finding that out and being rightly joined and related to him. And if I scream to him and he gives me no answer, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's the mark of a person who's been rejected. God, have mercy on us this morning. I hope he's talked to somebody. I hope he's talked to somebody. The only way to be saved is as he's speaking to you. Then stretch forth that hand. That's the only time a withered man, man's got a withered arm, can stretch it forth at the command of God. Lazarus, come out of that grave. Lazarus changed the powers in that spoken word. You can't come out of yours except at his command. Once he spoke to you, has he quit? If he's speaking to you this morning, 
Run to me. Masters, come. Here I am. Here I am. I turn myself over to you, lock, stock, and bear. If he's speaking to you. Amen. Let us bow our heads. Everybody standing while we have a word of prayer. Our Father in bloodstained Jesus' name now, we just helpless we can be. And if you don't talk to people, that's it. We're going to stand here. Lord, thank you. You talked to me. You didn't give up on me. Praise your name. Have mercy this morning. The such as have need of it, you've not already rejected. Stand there and plead with them. Behold the Son. God speaks to hearts right now. Enable them to hear you when you call. I can hear my Savior calling. Take thy cross and follow me. The invitation to any is to whom God is speaking this morning. Whatever he's telling you, there's any way you can respond to it. <clears throat> That's the reason we're standing here now. You ought to come forward and tell us something. You do it. If you ought to come with a request, you do it. If you ought to come with a confession, you do it. If you ought to come with a declaration and a testimony, you ought to do it. You ought to come asking for prayer. That's what he told me about. You do whatever the Holy Spirit. I'll just leave it there, brother. If he's dealing with you, you respond. If he's not, we're going home in a minute. Is that fair? I believe that's right. God help us. You walk out if that's what you ought to do. You surrender this morning if you're able. You come clean with God if you can. Not if you will, but if you can, brother. God speaking the word to you. While we sing, we're going to stand here and give you that opportunity. No use to wait. You're coming. I can be a very solemn moment for somebody. I'm trying to be honest with you. I believe God speaks directly through his word to men and women. I believe that's his call. Oh, if you're not under his silence, if you can, you'd better say, here I am. Do thou with me seem as good in your sight. That's the thing.
every head bowed and eyes closed before we have the benediction. My heart goes out to any who may be here. Not a child of God, I hope you haven't been reprobated. I believe people need help.